morning. How are we doing today? Good. Love the energy. Um, <laughs> uh, good stuff. Hey, uh, thank you again for, for having me back up here. I say this every single time. Uh, the best way to learn something is to teach it, and just preparing for this has been uh, just, just really enriching. So thanks for, for allowing me to come back. And I just, I just uh, actually, let, let me pray, because this is a prayer. Uh, God, I just pray that that your word um, would shine through me. Um, God, move me out of the way. And uh, as, as Danielle prayed, Lord, just, just change us. Use this time. Use this, this next few minutes to just reach into our hearts and uh, to point us towards you. Um, God, set our, set our sights on you and change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are on uh, week seven of this sexuality series. Um, and you can thank Trey that there's only two more weeks left. Um, when we were kind of talking and, and planning about this, this series, I was like, oh, well, we could add this, and we could talk more about this, and it was going to be like 14 weeks, and Trey was like, no. Um, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm thankful for that, not because this has not been fruitful. I think it's been great. I think it's really important stuff to talk about, but um, counter to what culture would say, our sexuality is not actually the most important thing about us. So there is a time coming up that we are, that we are moving on, um, but it's also very valuable um, to, be, to be talking about this. So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians today. Um, so the words will be on the screen as I read. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. And this is a passage that we've, we've kind of touched on before. Um, and we're going to go a little bit maybe deeper, or, or it's just worth coming back to. There's a lot to glean from this. So this is, this is Paul writing to the, a, a small church, probably between 50 and 200 people, in this, this little city called Corinth. Uh, he has planted this church, and he's moved on. He's in Ephesus now, but he's hearing some things, and he's writing this letter back to this church that he started in Corinth. And in this passage, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul's writing this to this, this church that's, that's in this over-sexualized culture, and they have an opportunity to be different. I don't know if that rings a bell to you at all, if that maybe reminds you of, of another culture that you're very familiar with and steeped in, um, that is over-sexualized and that is an opportunity for, for us to be different. I'm talking about today, by the way. Um, so, yeah, today's all about, about sexual immorality in, in general, and that, could, that can, there's a lot of different things that fall into that category. I wanted to, to focus particularly on what I would just generally classify, and this is not even the right classification necessarily, but in my head, I'm, I'm thinking about what I would call heterosexual sin, okay? Things like pornography, lust, premarital sex, really extramarital, outside of marriage, sex in general. Um, not that those things could not also be homosexual, um, or Trey's going to be talking next week about transgender issues. Um, but I, I think it's really critical that we 
don't put ourselves in a situation where we are talking about the sins of other people and sticking our nose up in the air and saying, those other people have those issues that I don't have, and I'm, I'm making a giant assumption by even saying it that way, um, and that assumption could be false, but, and I get that. Um, but if that were the case, to, to put those people and those issues at arm's length and say, I don't have those issues, I am better than, I think can be really harmful. So I think it's actually great how the, how the calendar worked out, and we're talking about, again, not the, the best way to classify it, but we're talking about heterosexual sin, right in between talking about homosexuality and talking about transgenderism. Um, so, yeah, sexual intimacy. We're going to look at the historical Christian sexual ethic, this definition that we've looked at, I think, every week. Sexual intimacy is a gift from God to be expressed. My, my definition has the, the word enjoyed thrown in there. Uh, only in the context of marriage, a lifelong covenanted exclusive partnership between one man and one woman for the sake of uniting and procreating. As we look at, at some of the things that I mentioned, pornography, lust, uh, sex outside of marriage, um, particularly lust and pornography, they, they fall into this, this idea of sexual intimacy in that it's false intimacy. There's false intimacy offered by these things that we're going to be talking about today. Um, I, I think, and Trey might correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's John Mark Comer um, calls has one definition of sin that is disordered love. So what we're talking about here is, is things that we, we could love and should love, but we're loving them wrongly, or we're loving them in the wrong place and in the wrong ways. There's disordered loves. Um, and thinking rightly about these things is really, really helpful. If we, if we think incorrectly, it's, it's really not possible to have the right outcomes. Um, yeah. But again, if you walk away with one thing, I want it to be this, this idea that you are not off the hook. You cannot look at what's going on in culture, what is talked about, and think about all, all of the sexual sin of those people and not spend a moment looking at yourself. You might be wondering why this is up here. Um, Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. This is Jesus talking, and this is one of his uh, brilliant and probably most, most stark illustrations that I can't even actually demonstrate. I'll just read this. He says, Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Uh, driving in on, on the driveway this morning, as you were coming in, on your left, there's a big branch that has fallen down and it's kind of pushed off to the side of the road. Um, I, I made a valiant effort to try to grab the whole thing. It's like 30 feet long. Um, this is a tiny little piece of it. But we get the, the ridiculous illustration of having a log, which this is not. It's actually just a branch. But Again, I can't even show this to you. But like in your eye, and you walk around with this thing in your eye, but you're ignoring it, and you, you want to point out the speck, the thing that is in somebody else's eye, okay? Just picture the ridiculousness of that. And again, I can't even make it look as ridiculous as Jesus' illustration actually says that it is. And by the way, everything I say today I'm sitting right there with you guys. I happen to be physically up on the stage, but I'm right there with you guys in needing to hear this stuff as well. 
Um, we have a log in our own eye. I shared this quote from Preston Sprinkle with you a couple weeks ago. It's worth revisiting. We're going to focus on a different part of it, but I, I just love this thought. He says that Christian churches have a heavenly mandate to stand against destructive ideologies. This includes some of the radical narratives that have emerged from the trans and gender affirming communities, and it also includes the destructive ideologies of legalism, hypocrisy, and self-righteousness. These latter ideologies may be even more destructive than the former when they're dressed up in religious garb. It's all too easy to vilify the sins of others, to shame them for struggling in ways that we do not. But God sees the heart of every person and knows that the ground is level before the cross. The one who stands furthest from the grace of God is the one least willing to extend that grace to others. We cannot, as Christians, say that we, we hold this sexual ethic and then thus are better than and do that standing there with this log in our eye. It doesn't work, okay? It just flat doesn't work. In fact, I could look at that and say, what a great scheme of the devil. Like, we could almost look at this and, and, and little golf clap. Don't actually do it. I think that's kind of sacrilegious. But you could almost look and say, like, wow, Satan, you, you really, like, figured the, well played um, to, to take one portion of, our, our, of, of humanity and, and, and they're going to completely reject the way that God has designed for them to live in their sexuality, okay? And they're not even going to worry about sin. They're going to completely reject that, okay? And then those of us that want to hold to a, a Christian sexual ethic and want to live out our lives sexually the way that God designed us to, but we don't perfectly, okay? There is sin in our lives. We don't perfectly, but because we're not doing what they're doing, we get to ignore our own sin and just look at theirs. Everybody loses, okay? Everybody loses. So again, what, well played, Satan. We need to fight against that. If you hear one thing today, you are not off the hook. You are not off the hook. You can't listen to, you know, conservative cultural commentators um, and, or, or whatever it is, whatever you're steeped in. Um, again, I'm sitting right there with you. I'm talking to myself here. Um, and, and ignore the sin in your own life and just focus on the sin of others. In fact, it's, it's a huge missed opportunity. Um, you know, Paul, Paul saw that in the Corinthians, and I think he would see it in us too. We have an opportunity to be different, not be different and point fingers, but be different and, and actually live out our lives the way that we, the way that we say we will and, and live out our lives in, in love of others and not simply vilifying them for struggling with things that we do not. Um, we're missing an opportunity if we do that. So back to 1 Corinthians. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body. There's something different about sexual sin. And Paul lays out what that is. It's, 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 it's not outside the body, it's within. Um, struggle with sexual, sexual immorality is a thing. Like this happens, okay? There's my one brilliant insight of the day. You can stop holding your breath. That's, that's the one great thought you're going to get from me. Uh, struggle with sexual immorality is a thing. There are staggering percentages, and, and there's different sources list the percentages differently depending on how it was researched and whatnot, but the, the percentages are staggering as far as uh, people who are addicted to pornography, and those percentages, 
they vary slightly uh, between people who claim to be Christians and people who do not. Okay, so just this is this is everywhere. Um, I, I would love to. I didn't have the time, and I, I couldn't find anybody who's done it. I wanted to go through all of the sexual interactions that are in the Bible, and there's a lot. Okay, this book is like racy stuff. If you haven't really gotten into it, it's there's a lot in there. And I was going to go through and see what percentage of those are in some way disordered. What percentage of those are, are sinful? And I think it's a lot. It might be 50%. It might be 75%. It's a lot. Now, that's not prescriptive. That's not, hey, you should go and live this way. Um, it, it's descriptive. There's polygamy. There's rape. There's sexual assault of a slave girl by Abraham. Uh, there's incest. There's prostitution. There's harems. There's lust. There's extramarital sex. There's revenge killings and murder to cover up David's sexual immorality. It's all over the place, okay? Sexual immorality is a thing. Um, I know, brilliant. Uh, I, I looked up, uh, I, I kind of trying to figure out, okay, how often does this pop up in the Bible? Um, I found one little summary, and it just briefly kind of lists off all the different kind of sexually immoral things that happen in the Bible. And I, I, I go, oh, this is great. This is exactly what I'm looking for. I go to print it off. It's a 19-page article. Um, I didn't print it. It wasn't worth it. The point is, it's a 19-page article. Um, there, there's a lot there. Um, and again, that's, that's descriptive and, and pointing us to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who can, who can rescue us from this. It's not prescriptive. Um, so that's, that's within the Bible. Um, anybody fans of the... I knew that would happen. I'm going to leave it there. That way it doesn't fall again. Um, TV show Friends. Okay, we've all, we've all watched Friends. Probably, you know, I'm, I'm 43 years old, and if you do the math on that, Friends was like right when I was, was growing up. Um, Friends is interesting, and I didn't realize it as I was watching it, the, the, you know, as a, as a teenager. Um, it's incredibly sexual. Somebody actually has, has studied this. Um, the, the characters in Friends, are, are there six or eight? Six, okay. In 10 seasons... How many sexual partners do you think they have? 85. 85. And I actually was surprised it wasn't higher. I read that number and I thought, huh, it seems a little low. But no, in, in, in 10 seasons, six people, 85 sexual partners. Um, so, and that's just one little example. I know if, if we sat here and talked about it, we could come up with a, a book full of other examples where sexual immorality is all over our culture. It just is a thing. And, and we see from Paul's writing to the Corinthians, this is not new. Guys, we're not alone in this. Um, not at all. And, and it, what, what is new a little bit, though, is I think, I think this is new. We live in a world that actually profits from sexual immorality. Um, there, there are economic drivers of some of this stuff that we're talking about. And I think that actually just, again, not, not a fully thought out thing, but I think that actually is something that is new in our culture. Um, so it's not, though, as if, if we looked at the Christian sexual ethic and said, okay, I'm on board with that, boom, done, end of story, problem solved, right? No. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that. So what should we do if the Christian sexual ethic is something that we, we want to live by, and we look in Scripture and say, hey, this is, this is God's plan for my life. God has designed me this way. Um, I want to live this out, um, but yet it's not easy. It, it, we're not we're not like done at that point, okay? Um, there's still a ton of work to do, and so so what do we do with this fact that we want to live one way, 
and all of these, these cultural and cultural influences that have been around for a long time um, are, are, are pushing us, and fleshly desires are pushing us to live a different way. What do we do about that? I put six ideas up there, and I, I had trouble kind of classifying them. I, li I listed three bad ideas and three good ideas. Um, at, at work, sometimes I like to throw out bad ideas, and I say this all the time. The bad ideas make the good ideas look great. Um, and I really, I really believe that. It's actually a helpful way of, of decision-making. Um, but in this case, these bad ideas, again, let's not like stick this log in our eye and, and look at these bad ideas and say, that's crazy. I think we can all look at those bad ideas and, and say, actually, I kind of do that sometimes. Or actually, I've, I've totally been there. And I don't like that, but, I, but I've done that. Um, so not necessarily bad ideas like, yeah, that we should look down upon. It's more things like we, sh we should acknowledge, like, this, this happened, and it's probably not the best thing. Um, reasonable people like you and I can look at all six of these options and say, yep, I'm going to do that. And, and, and not evil people, um, but reasonable people can do all of these. So we're going to look at these six options. Um, six ways to handle the idea that we want to live by a Christian sexual ethic, but there are all kinds of forces um, getting us off track. Okay, bad idea number one. We could, again, reasonable people could look at this and say, hey, let's just call it not sin. Okay, let's just decide that, that these behaviors are not sin. If we could pull this, that next slide up. Um, I, I don't think this is a good idea. And I don't think it's a good idea because God gets to define sin. As much as we might like to, as much as we might in our flesh tend to, it's actually not our job, our responsibility, our wisdom um, to, to define what sin is. So we need to look at scripture and, and say, how is, how is this defined? And ultimately, sometimes in some ways that we don't fully understand, but ultimately that is God's desire to have what is best for us. Um, so I, I could have listed a bunch of different things up here, uh, but just how, how are we defining what sin is outside of the Christian sexual ethic? Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is to be held in honor among all. The marriage bed is to be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral, immoral and the adulterers. Um, again, there's tons of other scriptures here, but that tie between sexual immorality um, and, and God's judgment on essentially calling it sin um, is all over the Bible. Proverbs 6.32, one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He, would destroy he who would destroy himself commits it. He's lacking sense. Matthew 5 again, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is one of those ones that when, when Jesus said this, it was kind of like some next level stuff for his, his original audience to hear. Um, they understood the first part, you shall not commit adultery. But, but Jesus kind of explained, no, this is about your heart. Um, and even just that, that lust is essentially committing adultery in your heart. First uh, Kings, we see the example of King Solomon. Um, this guy, the guy's guy is so interesting. Uh, he loved many foreign, foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. Um, 
Now, it, it, maybe he had 701, it maybe he had 699. The point is he had a lot, and, and, and that is a lot more than one, if you're, if you're doing the math at home. Um, yeah, it's a lot more than one. And here's, here's the point, and his wives turned his heart away. So this, this adultery, it's not just like a thing that, oh, it's, it's sin, and you shouldn't do it, and God says it, so okay. It actually has an effect on our heart, um, and, and we know that. Turns his heart away to follow other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God. So Solomon did what is evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not follow the Lord fully, as his father David had done. So there's this train of, of consequences um, to Solomon's adultery. It affected his heart. So still kind of within this, this bad idea number one, if we could look at the next slide, bad idea number one, let's just call it not sin, okay? Let's just say it's not sin. Um, we're going to talk about pornography. Um, this, this is something that has, what's the word? It is just crept into our society so much, um, and, and to the point that now, I, I had a conversation with, with some young men who I was working with at the time, and young Christian men, um, we're on a long car ride, and I was just asking, what are, what are guys dealing with these days? And this is what they said, and specifically what was kind of shocking to me, and it's probably not shocking to you guys, I'm just showing my age here, it was shocking to me that they were like, yeah, I mean, for the most part, people around us say it's just not sin, um, that, that pornography is not, it's, it's normal, it's natural, it's a release, it's whatever, it's not sin. And I just, and they weren't saying that, but they were saying that that is a, that is a common kind of, I don't know, um, viewpoint out there. And I, I really think we need to push against that. Um, in, in preparing for this, I did some, some reading about, you know, people's thoughts on this. The idea of false intimacy, um, viewing pornography is, is like it's looking for in intimacy, but it's false. It literally is false. Like, take a step back and think about what's going on here. This is not real intimacy. It, it, uh, it's, it's completely false. This was new to me. I read this this week. This idea of thinking of, of pornography is displaced prostitution. It has all the elements of prostitution, which feels really, like, icky to think about. Um, but it has all the elements of prostitution, just locations are separated, maybe time is separated, but all the other elements are there. And that's just so, yeah, that's so icky. And, and it's, it's an interesting thought. Um, and again, thinking rightly about these things helps us understand what's going on and helps us behave rightly as well. Um, Romans 8, 6, Paul addresses this in his letter to the Romans. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is, is life and peace. Um, in viewing pornography, we are, we are letting our flesh govern our minds. Yeah, that's, that's backwards. That just doesn't, that doesn't work. Um, yeah, we end up with objectified women. Like, and that, that word gets thrown out there, by the way, guys, objectify, right? Like, turn into an object, okay? Turn into an object, a, a human being. We are turning into an object. Um, and this is stuff, by the way, this list of things at the bottom here, stuff that secular culture is seeing. This is not just Christian communities. This is not just religious communities saying, hey, there's a problem here. This is actually secular culture saying, we're seeing an increase in sexual violence. 
We're seeing lower attention spans correlated to uh, viewing of pornography. We're seeing really poor socialization, especially among young men. Um, there are 85 studies, and this was old info, so there's probably 185 right now. I don't know. But there are lots and lots of studies linking uh, viewing of pornography to poor mental health. Again, God's, God's wisdom is wisdom. And if God's wisdom says that this is sin, that is for a reason. And, and therefore, it will bear out in secular science as well that there's, that there's problems with pornography. Um, everybody's seeing that this is a bad thing. Okay, so it's a bad idea to look at something that's sin. And by the way, this is just everything, not just sexual sin. But it's a bad idea to look at something that's sin and say, yeah, let's just call it not sin. Uh, bad idea number two, just go ahead and give in to temptation can't fight it. If you haven't been able to fight it before, just give in. Um, follow your heart. Okay, we hear that all the time. Follow your heart. Um, the, the Shakespeare kind of made famous this idea of be true to thine own self. Um, it's in Hamlet. Some of you know this much better than I do, but I'll explain it to you anyway. Um, it's in Hamlet, and it's actually mocking the idea of, of be true to thine own self. It's the character who says it to his son, it, he has, gives a bunch of bad advice to his son as he's headed off to school, and, and one of those pieces of bad advice is be true to thine own self. It's about you. Follow your heart. Whatever your feelings are, follow those. They will guide you. Terrible, terrible advice. Um, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In Psalms, we're told, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. If you delight yourself in the Lord, what are the desires of your heart going to be? For the Lord. Okay, and if your desires of the heart are for the Lord, then the Lord is going to give you that. It's not follow the desires of your heart, and that's going to lead you down anything but a dead-end road. It's, it's delight yourself in the Lord first. And then you will get those desires of your heart because those desires will be placed in the Lord. Okay. I think I've over-explained that one, so I think you get it. Um, as we face temptation, can, can we, and this is a legitimate question, um, and again, I'm sitting right there with you, can we humble ourselves before Scripture and accept what it has to say? Can we humble ourselves before Scripture? And rather than saying, oh, but I want or oh, but my flesh, or oh, but I'm feeling, um, or oh, my heart, um, can we say, okay, all that can be true, and I can humbly approach Scripture and, and, and call sin, sin, and, and do what Scripture says. Okay, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second, that idea of temptation. Bad idea number three, and again, I'm, I'm calling these bad ideas, but, but we do them. Um, we can't just dismiss them as, as silly or something like that. Bad idea number three is a legitimate option. We can just live in shame. And, and people do this. I, I've worked in ministry mostly with young people for the last 12, 13 years, something like that. Um, we, working, working in ministry and trying to find specifically young men to step up and lead in a ministry environment is really, really difficult right now. And I think, okay, it seems to me, I don't know this for a fact, but it seems to me 
that that is because we have a lot of young men living in shame. We have a lot of young men living in shame because of um, their, their view of themselves in light of their sexual immorality. Um, and that's not a correct view. Um, I'm not saying that that's, that's the way it should be, but the, it, just, it just is. And w- one thing I did notice, though, in years and years of trying to find young men to step up and lead, young men who live in isolation um, are much more likely to just be in shame and not feel worthy. Young men who live in community are much more likely to, um, to not be living in shame. I think there's something to that. God has given us a way out of shame. We do not need to live in shame. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Okay, this has been conquered since you are not under the law, but under grace. Jesus Christ came and died and was resurrected, not so that you could sit and wallow in shame, um, but so that you could conquer, conquer this. Um, sin will have no dominion over you. And again, what a, what a scheme of the devil. We can golf clap again if we wanted to. What a scheme of the devil that he would, that he would take um, people who want to live by a Christian sexual ethic, and because they can't do it perfectly, just kind of entrap them in that shame. Okay, so those, those are bad ideas. To, to call it not sin um, is a bad idea. To just go ahead and give in to temptation is a bad idea. To wallow in our shame is a bad idea. Jesus has conquered that. Let's talk about some good ideas. Oh, okay. Good news. Yeah. Uh, good idea number one, flee. Okay. Pretty simple. And, and, and Paul says this. We, we just read it as the very first words that we read today. Flee from sexual immorality. This is not like a like kind of keep it in your back pocket or keep it off to the side somewhere. It's like flee. Like do the things that you need to do. Um, to get this out of your life. Later in the same letter, Paul says to the Corinthians, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Um, There there are things that we can do to help uh, keep sexual sin out of our lives. Um, There's accountability. I mentioned community earlier. Um, there's, there's internet filters. Um, as far as, you know, relational stuff with actual human beings, um, not getting into the car with that person, not getting into the elevator, not going on that business lunch. Don't be alone with your girlfriend late at night if that's an issue in, in your world. Um, you, you can avoid that situation. And I'll, I'll, next slide we'll talk about um, an author who, who would say that those things aren't, aren't really like the ultimate answer. And I, I might agree with that. But I still think they're there, and they're tools. There are tools that we can use um, to do what we can do to flee from sexual immorality. Okay. Good idea number two. Find the roots. Find the roots. And this is where I, I wish I was Bob, because I'd tell you all about the psychology behind this stuff. But this, this book called Unwanted, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way of Healing, it's written by Jay Stringer. Um, it's... it's it deals with some graphic stuff, so it is a graphic book. I'll just warn you in that way. But it's very interesting. He's a psychologist, a therapist, um, actually based in Seattle. Um, and he's a Christian. I believe he's a, a leader in a church as well. Um, his, kind of his, his big point is that w- if we look at the specifics of our sexual sin, um, 
that will, that will lead us to the path out of them. Um, he did a study with 3,800 men and women back in 2016, I believe. And basically from, from what he's seen, he said, like, there, there are reasons that we behave the way, the way that we do. And we, we kind of know that, right? But the things that we keep coming to sexual standards, the things that we struggle with, looking at the specifics of those can help us understand um, the path out of them and path past them. And I, again, I don't know all the details, but just to, to make his point, um, there are reasons why we behave the way they do, the way that we do. Um, so people who feel a lack of purpose are more likely to be addicted to pornography, okay? They're more likely, not by like 10% or 20%, not by like double, but people who feel a lack of purpose are seven times more likely to be addicted to pornography. When I heard that, it was like, wow. Okay, there's something going on there. There are reasons behind the... Um, there are reasons behind the, the, the behavior that we have. And it's, it's worth thinking about what that looks like. So, so that, that might be a good idea. Um, understand, if that's... He, Jay Stringer, he recommends... Honestly, he recommends therapy. He recommends, like, really the, some things that he is involved in. Um, and I don't know enough about them to say much more than that. But just interesting to, to think about there. Okay, good idea number three. And this is where... I, I personally would really hammer on, like, this is something, guys. This, this, is, this is where the good stuff is. Um, this is where, where we have a, a God, a Savior, who wants to meet us, who wants to guide us through this, and who wants to get us out of this. This idea of abiding. Um, in Colossians, it says, So if you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Um, drawing close to the Lord. Um, seeking the things above, that, I, I think that is, again, probably of the six ideas, three that I call bad and three that I call good, this is the one that I'm like, gosh, guys, this is, this is where it's at. And not just in terms of sexual immorality, but in terms of so many other things as well. Um, abiding with Christ. In John 15, by the way, uh, the word abide is in the New Testament. I'm going to get the numbers slightly off, so please don't quote me. It's in the New Testament, I think, 128 times, and 104 of those, or something like that, are written by the Apostle John, either in the Gospel of John or in 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John. Um, he just, he loves this word, and, and I love it too, and it's like, it's this great word that, I, I don't know that we really can capture it, um, but it's, it's like, I, I put some synonyms there, remain, just like stay, dwell, continue without leaving. Do not depart. Abide with the Lord. This intense, constant, like it becomes normal, this just being in the presence of God. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. No, 
uh, of the other two quote-unquote good ideas, fleeing and, and kind of psychologizing it, no amount of, of fleeing or psychologizing will do it all by itself, okay? There has to be something else there, and that something else is the Lord. Uh, this idea of replacement theory is something I came across years ago. Um, if, if we're going to get something out of our lives, something else has to fill that space. And, and yeah, maybe, okay, I'm going to take up mountain biking. Right? Ditch pornography and take up mountain biking. I mean, maybe. Maybe that'll last for a while. Um, but but to, to ditch lust and take up abiding with the Lord, that is, is lasting. That is real. Um, yeah, and, and that looks like a lot of different things. And it's not a performance thing. It's not like, hey, if I... If I just, you know, I'm always listening to podcasts and I read X number of chapters of the Bible a day and I've got X things memorized and whatever, like, I've achieved it. No, it's not an achieving thing. It's like a dwelling thing. It's like a being thing um, with the Lord. That, that is, I think, yeah, a really important component of this. So just to, to summarize, again, we, we have our log a ridiculous log that is in our eye. And so we do not have the, the right, it is, it is a really bad idea to then go around pointing out the speck in other people's eyes. Um, think about that as, as culture addresses other issues of sexuality. Um, so you, you are not off the hook. We all have a log in our own eye. And then as we deal with, with our own sexual brokenness, um, six different options of how to do this. Um, all of them are reasonable, but three of them are, are much better, and I really would push us towards that, that idea of, of abiding in the Lord. Um, as the worship team comes up, we're going to look again at uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18. I'm going to read it one more time, but we're really going to focus on the, the end of it there. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. I was looking in my, my Bible that I've had for a while. I had a note um, on this verse from 2015, um, from a, a sermon at a, a church. Uh, shout out to Jason Turner if you're out there. Um, a, a church that we went to for a long time. And, and the note was, you were bought with a price paid by God. The, the price for the forgiveness of your sins was paid, okay? And that's significant. It was paid, like it's done, okay? The, the judgment is over. It's been paid. It's been paid by God. And this was the most costly purchase ever. We should not, we cannot just ignore that and say, okay, I got to get, get right before I get with God. I got to get this stuff behind me before I get with God. Um, that's not, that's, that's the wrong math. That's, that's the wrong way to do it. Um, you were bought with a price, paid by God. So let's enter into that. Enter into life with God. Enter into accepting that our, our Savior came and, and died for us. Uh, we're going to take communion here in a minute. As, as we're um, worshiping for this one more song, we'll come up and we'll take communion as we do that, just understand this is a representation of our, our Lord Jesus being 
embodied, okay, being God, coming to earth as a, as a little baby, a humble little baby, um, being embodied, living a perfect life, dealing with the temptations that we dealt with, but living a perfect life, and then God sacrificing on the cross for our sins. And, and we get to just remind ourselves of that. And, and Jesus says he's, as he's having his last, last moments, last time of abiding with his disciples, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done. Um, I, I have conquered this for you. You do not need to just get this out and do it yourself. Um, so as we're singing this last song, come up and grab the, the, the grape juice and the bread, and then we'll take communion together um, in a minute. Thank you.